Uh, my name is David, but people call me uh, DC. Uh, you guys can call me either or, but I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad that we can worship together on this uh, New Year's Eve Sunday, right? We're closing the year, and then we're starting the, the 2018. It's already 2018. It's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that you're able to worship with us. Uh, we're going to close our Advent series today. Uh, Advent is a season where the church um, is in anticipation and reflecting on the coming of Jesus Christ. And so what we've done in this past month is look at the various different ways that actually God reveals himself and how he dwells with his creation, but more specifically with humanity. And so we've been kind of journeying through the entire, not entire, but different places in scripture where God comes to us in various different forms. Um, And the title of the series is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Now, if you think about that name, Emmanuel, it can pretty much summarize uh, the entirety of the Bible and and the Christianity, right? Because in the very beginning, we see God's design and intent to commune with us, right? A relationship, but also the word Emmanuel tells us about the conflict of sin, how it separates us, and then also it gives us hope of the coming of Jesus Christ, and his ultimate final coming and his second coming. So this word Emmanuel is very important for, un- for us to understand what the Christian faith is about. But like I shared, from the very beginning of creation, God designed humanity to dwell with him. And so we see Adam and Eve in, uh, experiencing the profound presence of God in the garden. Uh, they're walking with each other. They're talking with each other. They're sharing the spa- same space together. But we know that that didn't last very long. They forfeited that communion because Satan came, tempted them, saying that you can be your own God if you eat the forbidden fruit. And so with that that proposition in mind, Adam and Eve took the fruit, wanting to be their own God, their own authority, to be self-governing and self-ruling. They ate the fruit, and that was an act of treason and, and, and betraying God and his goodness. And so God casted them out from the garden, not allowing them to enter back into his presence. But the story doesn't end there. Because even though it was Adam and Eve who betrayed God, God is the first one to take a step towards them. He initiates contact with them once again. And throughout the Old Testament, we see these various forms and means of God dwelling with his people. An example is the burning bush with Moses, where he shows up to Moses and he speaks to him. Uh, But these forms that God shows up in, they're disguised. They're not in the raw form that we see in the garden. They're always disguised. And what we see is they're all temporary. They they don't last forever, like the burning bush or the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire in the wilderness. And also God gave them a blueprint of the tabernacle where God's presence can dwell. And then he also called Solomon to build a temple for him. So we see throughout the scriptures, God's way uh, of revealing himself, dwelling with his people in these various different forms. And ultimately, like Adam and Eve, the people of God, even though God offers himself, would reject, reject God. They worship different idols, worship different gods. And ultimately, what ended up happening was the temple was destroyed. And for a period of 400 years, God went silent. His presence was removed from his people. And this is what we call the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. For 400 years, there were no prophets. God would not speak. They were without guidance, without his blessings. So again, people are without God's presence. But the people of God had 
the, the Torah, the law, and they also had the scriptures, right? The prophets promising someone to come, to dwell with them once again, to usher in a new era of blessing, to usher in the kingdom of God. So they weren't without hope. They knew that God promised someone to come to save them. And that was Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, as we learned last week, came down in the most controversial, scandalous form. God came down in the, in, in the flesh. He took on humanity. He became a baby. And this is the love and the grace of God, that he would come in a form that's most relatable and understandable to other human beings. He came as a human, fully God and fully man. See, the incarnation tells us of God's, once again, his desire for communion. He doesn't want our religion. He wants a relationship with us. And so he comes in the most profound, most understandable, most intimate form, which was a man. All right, so Jesus came on the scene, and there was great excitement with the people of God. This must be the Messiah, the person we've been waiting for. He's able to do some amazing things. Heal the leper, heal the blind. Even his teachings were so different. Like he explained the law in ways that no one else ever had. So there was excitement. And a lot of the people that were anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ, they're thinking about an earthly kingdom. Even his disciples thought of an earthly kingdom. Right? So Jesus came on the scene doing his ministry. When he turned 30, he began his ministry. He called 12 disciples to follow after him. Now think about this. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Finally, the Messiah has come. He is the real deal. He's doing some amazing things. Now we're going to have a kingdom for ourselves. We're going to have God's presence with us forever. Right? And so for three years, they lived with him, slept in the same space, heard from him, witnessed his miracles. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus tells his disciples, you know what? I'm actually going to, I'm going to have to die. I came to die for the sins of humanity. And they were in denial. No, Jesus, you can't die. You're our king. But it comes true. He is crucified on that cross. He's now dead for three days. The disciples go into hiding because they're fearful of the same fate. That they're going to be persecuted. Experience hostility. What, what happened after three days? God rose him from the dead, and he appeared to his disciples in the resurrected body. Not only to the disciples, but 500 other people. For 40 days, Jesus in his resurrected, glorified body now dwelt with his people once again. Now, at this point, the disciples are probably thinking, finally, finally, he's conquered sin, he's conquered death and Satan. Now we're going to experience the forever presence, the permanent presence of God through Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen. What happens after 40 days? Jesus calls his disciples to a mountain in Galilee, and he gives them this one final command. One final command. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've taught you, and I'll be with you forever. And then what happens? He leaves them. Again, he leaves them. Can, can you imagine the disappointment, the frustration of the disciples experience, wanting to experience the very presence of God, his kingdom, and their savior gives them this one command to change the world. And he says, by the way, you're not going to have me. I'm going to leave you. Can you imagine how that must have felt for the disciples and for the people of God? 
hoping to experience the very presence of God through Jesus, and Jesus leaves them. Change the world, but you're not going to have me to do it. But we know that Jesus does not leave them to themselves, to figure things out for themselves, to accomplish this mission by themselves. He gives them, some, he gives them someone. Someone. And, and this is This is the most profound expression of God's presence that we will now experience on this side of heaven. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 12 through 17. If you don't have your Bibles or your phones or your apps, it's going to be up on the screen for you to follow along. Let's give our full attention to this very kind of absurd thing that Jesus tells his disciples, all right? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever." Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is God's word. Amen. J.D. Greer, who's a a pastor and author, uh, reflecting on Jesus' ascension into heaven, this is what he says. Jesus did not become an absentee God. He, as God, simply came to his disciples as a different person. That person is the Holy Spirit. He gives his disciples and you and me the Holy Spirit. So three questions that I want to answer for us today. First, who is the Holy Spirit? Secondly, why is he better than Jesus? And lastly, how do we experience him? So who is he? Why is he better, and how do we experience him? So first, who is the Spirit? Now, many of you guys know, Jane and I, were, uh, we're expecting our third, and actually we're inducing on this, uh, this coming Friday. So by Saturday, we're going to have our third, third child, right? But, um, th- oh, thank you for that. <laughs> we, ha- we have already, though, a boy and a girl. So with this third child, we actually decided to keep it a secret even from ourselves. We don't know if this baby is a boy or a girl. Uh, and, and so... Uh, it's, but I, we kind of regret it at this point because we feel a little bit disconnected from our third baby. With Deacon, we knew it was a boy. With Devin, we knew it was a girl. So like we would, we would talk to the baby within the womb. But with this baby, we don't know if it's a boy or a girl. So I find myself calling it an it. And it's really sad because you don't want to call a baby an it, right? An it's a horror film about a clown or an it's a, a figure in Adam family or Adam's family. I don't know if you guys have watched that. It's like this weird, hairy-looking creature uh, in this cartoon show. But anyways, I, I, when I pray, instead of saying, oh, I pray for this baby or I pray for this boy, I, I, it's like, I pray for it. It's really sad because um, it's, it's, it's not an it. It's a boy or a girl, but we just don't know, right? Because we're just kind of in the dark. It's a little bit ambiguous. We just don't know what this baby is. Is it a boy or a girl? And because of that, we feel kind of disconnected and kind of removed from this baby. I saw I really feel bad for our third baby at this point. Um, but this is, unfortunately, this is actually exactly what happens with the Holy Spirit. For many of us, the Holy Spirit is an it, like this weird, ambiguous spiritual force, like what we see in, in Star Wars, right? The force, 
or like this kind of weird, airy, mysterious kind of thing, right? So we call it an it. Um, And this is unfortunate because we learn that the Holy Spirit is a he. Many of us, we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. It's kind of the, 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 the middle child of the Trinity, right? Kind of neglected, uh, kind of not really talked about, right? We, but every Christian, we have the Holy Spirit, right? We all have the Holy So it, like, it's kind of like an appendix. We all have an appendix. We don't know what an appendix does in our body, right? But we all have it. It's the same is true for the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit, but we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? What does Jesus say? Verse 16, And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a he, not an it. Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit has a personhood. Right? And he takes a permanent residence in the Christian's life. So it is so important for us to know who the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit is in us. Right? The Holy Spirit is God. As Christians, we believe in a triune God. God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit. All three equally God, equally uh, deserves our worship, but they function. They have different functions and purposes in both creation and in salvation. So in creation, we see God speaking creative words. Jesus Christ in creation is the word. and the Holy Spirit, we see him hovering over the waters. He's the actual agent to create, right? In creation. Salvation is similar. God planned salvation. He sent his son. Jesus obeyed the father and the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do for salvation? He applies salvation to our lives. He, he allows us to see that we are sinners. He allows us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and to believe in him. Right? God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all working in creation and salvation. The Holy Spirit is God. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship, and he is a person. He is a person. So here in our text, Jesus Christ gives the Holy Spirit a title, the word there is helper. In Greek, that is paraclete. Now, in the Greek language, the word paraclete and any actually word in Greek is so squishy. And there's multiple meanings, right? It can mean helper. It can also mean comforter, advocate, counselor. Now, why is this significant? Why at this point does Jesus tell them that they're going to receive a helper? Because Jesus knows that he's going to leave his disciples, the disciples are going to know that Jesus is going to be crucified, but after, 40, uh, after three days, rise again. But after 40 days, he's going to leave them forever. So knowing this and caring for his disciples, he's saying, you know what? I'm going to be gone, but you're not going to be alone. And actually, you're going to be experiencing the same hostility that I'm experiencing now. All the disciples are going to suffer because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And many of them become martyrs. But Jesus is not going to leave them to themselves. He's going to provide a helper to help them endure and persevere through the persecution. A counselor, a comforter, an advocate to be with them in the midst of persecution. But how is this helper going to help? What is this Holy Spirit going to do to help us and help the disciples? Uh, John 14, verse 26 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. How is the Holy Spirit going to help these disciples? The Holy Spirit is going to remind them of Jesus and his teachings and his promises. See, the Holy Spirit, he, he doesn't bring in new revelation. He's not starting a new ministry. No, he is trying to remind us of the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's ministry. It is not his own ministry. It's actually the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't create new revelations, but reminds us of Jesus' promises. See, the, the Spirit's main objective in our lives is to remind us, to solidify, to make tangible the presence of Jesus Christ. That's his main objective to make known the beauty, the glory, and the worth of Jesus Christ in a believer's life. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a floodlight. So you guys see these lights right here, how it's shining the stage? That's the Holy Spirit. But he's not shining light on himself. He's shining light on Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus Christ. See how awesome he is. Another way to think about it is the Holy Spirit is Jesus' hype man. Do you guys know what a hype man is? Someone that just hypes someone up, right? I'm a fan of battle rap. I know that's really weird. But when you look at people battling against each other, there are people that are surrounding this one individual rapping, hyping him up, right? Reacting to everything that he says and does. The Holy Spirit is that person for Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit is Jesus' hype man. So what does a spirit-filled person then look like? What is the evidence of a Holy Spirit working in a believer's life? It is this. A spirit-filled person is someone who knows, loves, adores, worships, and makes much of Jesus Christ. You want to know who's spirit-filled or what type of person is spirit-filled? How much does he make of Jesus Christ? How much does she celebrate, worship, and can't stop talking about Jesus Christ? Right? If someone claims to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but yet all they talk about is themselves, their gifts, their experiences, how awesome they are, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with themselves. The question I want to ask us today, right? Do you know him? Do you know him? Not it. Do you know who the Holy Spirit is? Do you interact with him? Do you engage with him? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you pursuing him? When is the last time you interacted with the Holy Spirit? When is the last time you talked to the Holy Spirit? When is the last time you sought him out? See, the Holy Spirit is a gift. This is the greatest gift that Jesus actually leaves us. But yet so few of us have a relationship with him. See, I'm convinced this is the reason why so many of us are struggling in our faith. So many of us are, are stunted in our growth. It's because we are unaware and we have not interacted with this amazing gift that God, that, that God and Christ gives to us in the Holy Spirit. See, it's, it's quite actually astounding and amazing that how many Christians live with an unawareness of the Holy Spirit because especially what Jesus says here. In our passage, he's like, you're going to do greater things. 
And then in chapter 16, verse 7, this is what he says. Listen carefully to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus said it, we got to pay attention to it, right? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is actually better than me. Really? Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, you're saying someone is better than you? So this brings us to the second question that we want to ask and answer. Why is the Holy Spirit better than Jesus? Why is the Holy Spirit better than Jesus? This is probably one of the most absurd things that Jesus ever said. It is to my advantage that I leave. Right? Talk about like the worst breakup line, right? Right? It's, it's not you, it's me. Right? If I, yeah, you'll find someone better, right? That's a horrible way to break up with someone, right? Try, hey, parents, try that, try that with your kids. It's to your advantage, Deacon, that I'm leaving, right? Because Uncle Phil will come instead. No. Or Uncle Calvin's going to come instead. That's like a, no, that's horrible. That's a horrible replacement, right? <laughs> Every day I leave. Every day I leave for work, and Deacon and Devin, they all cry. They, they throw a fit. And let's say I turn to them, Deacon, it's to your advantage that I'm leaving because Uncle Phil's coming instead, Right? No, they want their dad. <laughs> they want their mom. It's a horrible replacement. At least that's what we think in our earthly term. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. I have to leave. It's actually good for you that I'm leaving because I'm going to give you a helper that's even better. What, is, what in the world? Right? How is this better? What is Jesus talking about? Why is the Spirit better than Jesus? I want to give us three reasons. Three reasons why Jesus is better. And I can't unpack all of these extensively, but please pay close attention. Very simply, space, spatially, the Holy Spirit is better. Why? Because Jesus Christ, although he is God, right? He was God. He transcended over time, space, and matter. That, that's who God is, right? But in the incarnation, he restricted himself. He constrained himself to time, space, and matter. He could only be at one place at one time. So there are people that panic. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? His disciples panicked. Where is Jesus? We're looking for you. We don't have that problem with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not restricted to time, space, and matter. He actually resides in every one of us as believers of Jesus Christ, mediating the very presence of God. So although physically Jesus is not with us, we have his very presence by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is great news. Because what do we see happening in the early church? Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 16. Peter is at one location filled with the Holy Spirit preaching the gospel. Paul is at another location filled with the Holy Spirit preaching that same gospel. This is amazing. No longer does Jesus need to be there physically, but the Holy Spirit is empowering both at different locations to do that, to preach the gospel, to fulfill the Great Commission. This is, this is great this is why the Holy Spirit is better. We're no longer dependent on the physical Jesus, but we have his very presence in the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the one transforming, shaping, sanctifying, helping us become more like Jesus. See, the disciples always, well, not always, but most of the time they were with Jesus, hearing from him. Right? He would take them aside and explain the parables privately to them. We don't need that special access because we have it with the Holy Spirit. Spatially, 
Secondly, missionally. Missionally, Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit is better because Jesus's ministry was confined in a small part of Palestine. But what we see in Acts chapter two, right? When Jesus tells him, hey, wait, don't do the Great Commission until I give you the Holy Spirit. So they were waiting in Jerusalem. It was the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish festival celebrating the harvest. So all the different, different uh, believers, right? In Judaism came to Jerusalem. A lot of them not native Jewish speakers. They would come to this festival. What happened at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit fell down in tongues of fire. Now these Galileans, these unintellectual, untrained, uneducated individuals started speaking in languages that the other Jews that came from all over the place started to understand. This is a reverse Babel, right? You guys know the story of Babel where God confused the language and, and scattered the people? Instead, here at Pentecost, God brought clarity by giving the gift of tongues to the disciples to speak in languages where these, these foreigners, right, that came out from other nations came. So what does this symbolize? The expansion of God's kingdom. It is not to the Jews only, but to the Gentiles and the nations. The Holy Spirit accomplishes this great commission by giving the power of tongues to share the gospel to all nations, all tribes, all languages. And we see that in, in the Pentecost, Acts 2. So, the pen, so what happened at Pentecost is the widespread of the gospel going to the nations, right? What also happens missionally in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit empowers Peter to get up and preach the gospel to his fellow Jews. Now, if you go back and listen to his preaching, man, it was bold. It, it was harsh. He's calling out the Jews for crucifying Jesus Christ. Now, you would think after that kind of gospel preaching that people will turn away. 3,000, 3,000 were converted to Christianity that day. Jesus fed 4,000. Peter's ministry was better than Jesus's. Peter's ministry, empowered by the Holy Spirit, did something Jesus didn't do. 3,000 came to know Christ that day. Peter, the coward, the one that denied Jesus three times, filled with the Holy Spirit, got in front of his peers and started preaching a gospel. Preaching a gospel, and the Holy Spirit used that, and 3,000 came to know Jesus Christ. Amazing. The Holy Spirit empowers us, emboldens us for the gospel ministry, for missions. Right? We're not dependent on the physical Jesus. The Holy Spirit, the very presence of Jesus resides in us, giving us boldness, clarity, power to preach the gospel. Lastly, why is the Holy Spirit better than Jesus? I just want to say permanent security. Permanent security. The Spirit is ours. Jesus said ours forever. This is not the tabernacle. This is not the pillar of cloud. This is not the temple. The Holy Spirit resides in us forever. Permanent security. And what does the Spirit do within us? It gives us affirmation. It assures us of our salvation. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit allows us to look at God and not see him as a judge and a ruler, but to look at him and say, Father. That's what the Holy Spirit does within us. 
He assures us of our adoption. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in him, were sealed. Sealed. With what? The promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The word sealed, the stamp of approval. The Holy Spirit inside us is God's stamp of approval saying, you are mine. And saying your inheritance that you have when you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit secures it for you forever until you come to acquire it. This is permanent security. It cannot be taken away from us. It is no longer contingent upon Jesus' physical presence. No, we have it within us. This is great news. Great news. The late R.C. Sproul, uh, uh, a pastor and a theologian that, that transformed my life. He, he recently passed away. But he describes the Holy Spirit like this. The Holy Spirit is our family attorney with a permanent retainer. Permanent retainer. He comes to our defense. He's our advocate. He's our counselor. He's our comforter. Permanently. He will not leave us. He will not abandon us. Jesus, the Holy Spirit is better than Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you experience that? J.D. Greer, once again, this is a statement that he makes. The spirit inside me is better than having Jesus beside me. The spirit inside me is better than Jesus beside me. I, I long for that to be true in my life, for us to seek and pursue the Holy Spirit, knowing this truth, that the Holy Spirit is actually better. Having him is better than having the physical Jesus here with us. So how do we experience, to close, how then do we experience the Holy Spirit and his ministry of mediating Jesus' presence, making us more missional, and making us feel more secure in the salvation that we have? How do we do this? Um, I shared earlier in the first service, my, my background is actually fairly charismatic and Pentecostal. I come from a background where they celebrated the spiritual gifts. Um, and in my opinion, as I reflect, reflect back, a little bit of exaggerating the spiritual gifts. So I just want to say, you don't have to go to a revival. You don't have to go to a rally. You don't have to go to a movement. You don't need to receive the spiritual gift of tongues in order to experience the Holy Spirit. I just want to assure you of that. Because I know a lot of us, we've experienced those type of ministries. I'm not saying those are horrible, like bad ministries. I'm just saying that I want to share with you how, how, what's the regular way that we can experience the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. How does the Holy Spirit work? Now, the Holy Spirit is God, so therefore he is sovereign. He could do whatever, whenever he, he wants to. Whatever he wants to do, he can do it. But know this, the Holy Spirit will never break rank. He will never get out of line. What do I mean by that? The Holy Spirit is always working harmoniously with God the Father and God the, God the Son. He will not go off and do his own thing. What that means is we got to know Scripture. We got to know what the Father is like. We got to know what the Son is like in order to be able to assess what the Spirit is doing, whether it is truly from God or not from God. Right? And also, the Spirit is the Spirit of what? of truth, the spirit of truth. 
the main way that we can experience the Holy Spirit is through this. It's through this. His ministry is to remind and reveal to us the truth about Jesus Christ. So then how do we experience the Holy Spirit? How can we do this? You know, Jane and I, we recently got a car, a new car, because our previous car cannot hold five people. Uh, so I was trying to convince her to get a minivan because I thought, I think minivans are amazing, right? But I lost that battle. We got a, a bigger SUV that can accommodate our family. I know, I'm, I'm very disappointed still. Um, but the, the technology in cars these days are kind of crazy. Um, you know, I, don't, I, I drive a... I drive a uh, Toyota Camry. So this technology is not in my car. I didn't even know that this technology existed. So I got scared when I was driving uh, our, our SUV. Because uh, on the freeway, uh, what it does is like when, when you go off the lane, it like, it adjusts. It like puts you back in the lane. And I didn't notice. I was like, what's going on? Is it windy or what's, what's happening? And then there's like this screen that tells you that you're going away from the lane. It like goes like orange or yellow. Oh, what is this technology? Right? It's steering me back. It's quite annoying because the, the freeways in LA, they're not like clear. The lanes aren't very clear. So the car thinks I'm not driving within the lanes. So it's constantly tugging me and steering me right back to the lane. Now, why do I share this? I'm not bragging about a new car. Uh, that's not the point. Um, why am I sharing this illustration with you guys? See, what I discovered about the Holy Spirit, right? because this feature only works when you're driving, this feature, you will not know that, it's, that, that this feature works when you're parked. Now, so what I've realized about the Holy Spirit, how, he active, how he's actively working in our lives is when we are in motion. Not when we're not doing anything. So what do I mean by being in motion? See, the Christian life, we are called into mission. We're called to obey. We're called to follow Jesus Christ. Right? That doesn't mean we... Do nothing. Actually, that actually requires a lot of things to do, right? The Holy Spirit works most powerfully when we are in motion, pursuing after Jesus Christ, trying to obey Him, trying to live a holy life. See, many of us, we don't experience the Holy Spirit because we do absolutely nothing. And we expect the Holy Spirit to work. Now, again, the Holy Spirit is sovereign. He can work. But how does he work? How does he work? See, many of us, we expect great things to happen, but we do absolutely nothing. See, many of us, we simplify the Christian life as a thing. This is, this is a, a certain group of Christians that I believe that exists in this room. You believe that Christianity is simply not doing bad things. That's it. As long as I'm not doing bad things, I'm a good Christian. But we forget the whole, whole other half of the Christian life, which God calls us to do good things. God calls us to do good things. Every Christian here is a missionary. You have a mission given to, given to you by Jesus Christ himself. Now, when we are trying to obey that mission, I believe that's when the Holy Spirit works. That's when the Holy Spirit works. We all have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a person. So we can frustrate him, we can grieve him, we can set him aside and completely ignore him, or we can grant him access into our lives. You could do either or. We can frustrate him, or we can grant him access into our lives. 
And what you will discover when you're trying to live your life in obedience to Christ, that the Holy Spirit is going to steer you. He's going to move. And when you're going away, he's going to steer you back. Right? That's, that's our helper. That's our advocate. That's our comforter. So we all have him. The question is, are we living in obedience? Are we seeking for him to work in our lives? I want to I share three ways of pursuing Jesus Christ, um, which will allow the Spirit to work powerfully in our lives. Right? We're giving opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Three things. First thing, you're already doing it. So congratulations. You're here at church. You're here at church. Why is church so important? Please listen to me carefully. I'm not saying this because I'm like tooting my own horn because this is my job. No, the Holy, the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is, his ministry is the gospel. So on Sundays, when we gather, we hear the pure preaching of the gospel. Now we do our best, Pastor Michael and I, we do our best to always preach the gospel. Why? Because we believe when we do, the Holy Spirit will work. That's our confidence. Now, we might, we might not be able to physically see it, but I believe whenever I preach Jesus, the Holy Spirit will work through that. So come to church. Church is so important to hear the gospel. Don't, don't hold it so loosely. God wants us to be reminded of his love because we forget it all the time. Sunday is an opportunity for that. Secondly, I already mentioned it, the word. He is the spirit of truth. He will not work outside of the word. He will not. So when you hear a prophetic word from your friend, don't just believe it. Test it against scripture. He speaks loudly and clearly. Every time we open up scripture, we're granting spirit, the spirit access into our lives to speak to us, to clarify who Jesus is, to show us how beautiful and wonderful he is. Every time we open this up, now, not every time you read the Bible, you're going to get hit with the Holy Spirit. I'm not, that's not what I'm promising or guaranteeing. Every time we do, though, we're giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work. Lastly, the, we're giving opportunities for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives when we experience fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Relationships, community. The predominant way that we do fellowship here at All Nations is through small groups. What happens at small groups? We come together, we eat, we share about the word of God, we pray for each other. Because all of us, we possess the Holy Spirit. When we share that, we experience the Holy Spirit together. We hear about how God, uh, God is working in another person's life. We get to pray for one another. We get to exercise the spiritual gifts in our small groups. We might not be able to exercise it here on Sunday because there's just not too many opportunities, but every small group, Every time you go, you have an opportunity to exercise the spiritual gifts that we are given through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hospitality, generosity, help, compassion, mercy. These are all gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. How are we going to use that? In our small groups. So if you're not a part of our small group, we're starting a new quarter. I want to encourage you. You can experience the power of the Holy Spirit in fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Please don't misunderstand me. Right? Coming to church, reading the Bible, joining a small group. You don't do this to earn salvation. You do it in light of salvation. You do it in light of salvation to, to access the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like with any, any gift that we receive, we can either enjoy it or we can put it aside. I want us to enjoy it. We cannot be sanctified. We cannot grow in holiness. We cannot experience becoming more like Christ without the Holy Spirit. But yet so many of us Ignore the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
So we do all these things in light of salvation because Jesus Christ, he has accomplished salvation for us. He has accomplished salvation for us. He wants to reveal himself that much more clearer and greater in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. For this new year, I hope that as a church, we can be a spirit-filled church. As individuals, we can be spirit-filled individuals. That's truly my desire. We need more of the Spirit, not less. We need more Spirit in our lives and in this church. Seek Him. Long after Him. Pursue Him. Ask for more of Him. For His glory, but for our good as well. Let's pray. Let me give you guys an opportunity to respond. Um, you can pray to the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you guys knew that. It's not weird. The Spirit is God. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. I want to invite you, if you're wanting to and willing to pray to the Holy Spirit, just pray this very simple prayer. Holy Spirit, I want more of you. I want to be ministered by you. I want to experience the presence of Jesus through you. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, please come into my life. Fill me. Help me to know you better. Help me to pursue and, and have a greater desire and appetite for you. I want to encourage you guys to pray that simple prayer. I'll just give you guys 30 seconds to a minute to do that, and I'll close us in prayer. Let's pray together.